The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with a good friend, a fellow podcast host, and a uh, funder of government uh, contracts, uh, my friend Teresa Moon. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. This is super exciting for me. I'm a huge fan of the show, so thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I've been doing this for a while, so I, I think I was podcasting before it became a thing, but, uh, you know, whatever. So for the folks out there who do not know Teresa Moon, shame on you, first of all, and not you, Teresa, the people who don't know you, um, <laughs> and Parabolus, fill, fill in the blanks a little bit here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, I appreciate having the opportunity to chat with your listenership. Uh, I'm a part of it as well. So I know how important conversations that come across this podcast, how important they are. So it's super exciting. I'm Teresa Moon. I'm Director of Business Development and Marketing for Parabolus. Uh, in a nutshell, Parabolus, we provide lines of credit to government contractors who are unable to obtain, keep, or increase the line of credit that they have with their bank. And we find more than ever that this is becoming a growing and growing problem that people are now becoming aware of and ready to talk about. And so conversations like this are not only important, but exciting for me to have a platform like this to be able to share some information. You know, a little bit of background on me. I started my career as a teacher. So you and I have that in common. Yeah, we and, do. Yeah. And I, I prided myself on that, but found very quickly that uh, ramen noodles and living with my parents was about the extent of which my uh, financial prowess was going to be. And and so for as much as I loved imparting wisdom to the growing brains of, of the youth of America, um, I saw pretty quickly that I, I had some other skills that I could put into better use in, in sales and marketing. And, you know, 25 years later after that, I found my way into government contracting and it's been a roller coaster, but a fun one to say the least. Yeah. Once you're here, one of two things happens. You become addicted and you cannot leave or you run away screaming within a year. <laughs> uh, that, that's been my experience with, with the uh, 40 years of observation. And the number of people who stay is really incredible, but you need a lot of things in order to stay. So Teresa and I are going to be jumping around uh, a lot of topics today because I asked her to come up with like 25 tips for things small contractors especially should know, should do, should be aware of pitfalls. And let's start with number one is is your product or service. I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time, so I get a lot of calls. So as you and me and my producer, Peter, were discussing before, visibility comes with a price. My price is I get inquiries from people from the entire spectrum of the universe. Does the government buy inflatable dolls? Um, <laughs> to, you know, anything, right? So what's your take on the uh, product service viability? 
I think, you know, biggest key there is identifying what it is that you actually do well that anyone's going to actually care about. Um, I have talked to so many business owners over the last several years and, you know, occasionally I get the, the mantra of, you know, hey, what do you do? And they respond by saying, I can do whatever you need. And, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's not viable. It's great in some circles, and we can talk about those at a later date, but they are not applicable when you're in front of someone that could be a potential buyer, right? So market research is so important for that immediate and long-term plan building. And so if you don't really know what it is that your company does, why what you do is better than those who are also doing it as well, and what that means to the person that you're talking to, that takes some time and research into it. And it, you can't just throw together a capability statement and think that that's going to be the reason that you get someone to, to throw an award your way. Um, you know, there's a lot of money to be spent on small businesses participating in the federal marketplace, but you still got to know what you do and why anyone should care. And, and that takes a little bit of research. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out, but designating what your specific competencies are and how that relates to the mission of the people that you're trying to get to pay attention takes a little bit of work and, and a little bit of research. And I think sometimes people get so excited to participate in the marketplace that they forget about that portion of it before they get embarrassed on an exhibit hall floor by someone that, uh, you know, reading them up and down, telling them pretty quickly, uh, you're wasting my time. Come back to me when you have something viable. Right. I love that. Thank you. And this point intrigued me a great deal because uh, I've, again, I've, I've been doing this a long time. I've met a number of business owners, CEOs, who think they are just the brightest bulb in the friggin' universe. So is the business owner the right person to sell for your company? You, do, do the BD, do the sales, do you know the public pitch, whatever? Yeah. I think if you ask the business owner, they're obviously they're going to say yes, because it takes a certain level of egotism and courage to actually become a business owner to begin with. But I think some of them let that ego overstep what their actual capabilities are. And just because you started a company that you believe in wholly doesn't mean that you're the best person to be out there selling it to whoever it is that's going to buy. And for a lot of reasons, right? BD not only takes time, but it costs money. So if you outsource it, you're paying someone else like me to go and do that for you. I mean, that's how I started my career in government contracting. I had a network of people that I could go and shop what I was selling at the time to. And those relationships that I had built were the reason that I was able to secure the awards that I did. But I wasn't the functional operator of the actual competencies that I was selling, right? There's a, there's a line between the two. I knew enough about the business to present them to the marketplace, but I wasn't actually back behind the scenes performing the day-to-days. And so I find a lot of times that when a business owner is trying to save a buck, they try to do way too much on their own and don't outsource enough of it, whether it's to hiring people internally to do so or outsourcing it to someone that can do it externally for them. And it saves a lot of heartache when you figure that out sooner than later. You got to really know what you're good at and either hire the right people around you to do the things that you're not good at and, or outsource it to someone who can provide you at a fractional level that specific service. And BD is key, but it's relationship building and beyond. It isn't just 
understanding the, the technicalities of what you do. It's really being able to form relationships that are built by trust and that trust can, and then in turn into a, a business relationship. And so I think they, a lot of business owners try to do too much on their own and they spend a lot of time spinning their wheels, figuring out the hard way that they're, they're not really great at sales. Uh, they're not really great at networking. They're really great at whatever they functionally put together for their business to perform. I, I think that's especially true when it comes to tech companies. Mm-hmm. But um, It's funny that you say that. I have a mentor from years ago that told me that there's two types of engineers. There's an engineer that looks at his shoes when he's talking to you and an engineer that looks at your shoes when he talks to you. So that's probably not the best person to send out and do sales for you because looking someone in the eyes is important. <laughs> looking them in the eyes and hearing what they're saying are are incredibly powerful tactics. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Teresa Moon of Parabolus, P-A-R-A-B-I-L, single L, two L's. One L. One L. Parabolus, P-A-R-A-B-I-L-I-S dot com. Um, Teresa, and I'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Teresa Moon, who is the BD guru for Parabolus. And, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, number one, reach out, connect, follow Teresa, follow her posts, because these these are illustrative of things BD people should be doing online, uh, much less offline. So we're going to talk about the merging of those two right now. You know, there's events every damn day in the government market, every hour of every day in the government market. You could spend your life out of your office, but if you're going to the wrong venue, you're losing it. So mm-hmm. I see you out and about. If I if I bother to go out, I'll see you there. Um, <laughs> I don't get out nearly often enough, but that's because I'm lazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here writing instead of being out networking. That's what that. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so where should you go and why spend money for an event if you're going to sponsor? But basically, start with the criteria for event selection. Sure. I, I think what's important to note is that if you're interested in getting a seat at the table, you at least got to get in the room. And so getting there is like 90% of it, right? But it took me a lot of trial and error to figure out where the best rooms were to get into. And and so I think you know a good frame of reference would be to pick the best events that are aligned with let's say an organization that supports and advocates for a certification that you have. Um, So for instance, uh, in a week, we've got the national 8A conference. They have two conferences every year. Uh, One is usually on the East coast and the other is in Alaska, right? So Alaska is probably not going to be a a great place for um, everyone to be able to make it out to, even though it's beautiful, but um, the national conference that they do in the winter time every year is always a an event to be seen at and has always been important at the top of my list. Um, not only is it very, very well attended, uh, but they also have the great greatest mix, I think, of industry and government. So if you're looking there to find a partner, 
not even necessarily that you're an 8A business, but you think that partnering with an 8A business is a great place for you to be. Um, that's a great place to find it. They do a wonderful job of mat- matchmaking there. Um, they also, you know, have a great lineup of, of the larger primes that show up as well. So there's lots of opportunities for you to get in the room and get in front of people who might actually buy whatever it is that you're selling. So it's events like that, that you know when you get there, there's going to be government agencies, large primes, other contractors that are are looking to partner with people like you who do what you do and vice versa. Um, also, I always have on my list every single year and, and shameless plug or not, I'm going to go ahead and say the, the Hub Zone National Council's event every year. Um, I just recently, yeah. That's right. I just recent, recently joined their board of directors. So I'm a huge, proud advocate of the Hub Zone Council and they provide a more intimate setting. It's not as large, although it is growing every year as the National 8A Convention. But the best part about some of these organizations is they all show up and support each other. So Hub Zone Council, NVSBC, which supports the SDVOSB community, WIP, Women Impacting Public Policy, they all show up at each other's events to support. So, and they bring their following with them as well. So whether it's an organization that you directly support based off of a certification, or you're going there for partnering objectives, or you're going there just to learn, those are are great organizations to align your your calendar with because they give you the best bang for your buck. And in, in those terms, I'm thinking of if you have something that you are able to have an exhibit table, it's a great, these are great places to do so because they have a large attraction of people within the industry that are showing up being centrally located in their exhibit hall is going to give you a place to not only make those connections, but talk about what you do. And we all know in this industry, word travels fast. So if you have a great representation at some of these events, you can share your information, letting people know outside of just LinkedIn marketing, what you do in person like that builds that intimacy. People not only like to follow you online, but if they can see you in action, it builds that credibility, just that extra layer forward. And your level of participation is where you have to look at in terms of your budget, right? So if it's in your budget to get a table, I highly recommend doing it, especially from a service provider aspect for Parabolus, to be able to have people walking through and seeing how you interact with the environment itself, with the contracting industry itself, can really lend itself to to building that credibility for whatever it is that you represent within the industry. So um, highly recommend getting out to at least one or two every year. Pick the ones that have the biggest um, government presence, because if you really want to have a conversation with someone who could potentially make a decision down the road, they're the best people to give you feedback on where you are. You might get you know, given some advice that you're not loving in, in front of a audience, but because uh, I've seen it happen before, people walk up unprepared and get answers that they're not expecting. But uh, it's a great place to get your feet wet and and really uh, build that network. That's so important. Let's go back to the 8A conference for uh, a minute, because number one, that's one I've not been to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not on my agenda at present. And that's probably a mistake on my part. But at what point does an event become too big to be effective for any small business? I mean, how you know, you can get lost in these things, particularly if you lack the networking skills that a Teresa Moon has. 
Yeah, so. I mean, that can truly be daunting. A lot of the bigger conferences, the ones that get to the five to 10,000 person attendees, uh, those are going to be hard for a small business. There are some, the Space and Missile Defense Symposium in Huntsville every year. That's a very, very, very huge, very well attended conference yep. um, every year. But they have a whole section that's a small business expo. So they separate them out from the larger companies, the government agencies, and they have them in their own section. So if you're really looking to partner with someone that isn't, you know, the Lockheed Martins of the world, they have a specific section for that. So there is something to doing research to attending these events too, and seeing which ones actually parcel out a small business expo. The Veterans in Business Conference every year out in San Diego, they do the same thing. They have a small business expo and they actually have a day designated for small business showcase, which is very beneficial because people are coming in with the intent of meeting with the smaller businesses while they're there. And as you and I both know, small business doesn't necessarily mean, you know, tiny. It's just in comparison to. Um, so really understanding if there's an ability for you to connect with other small businesses at that level, some of these larger conferences aren't bad, right? But you need to have someone working with you or representing you at them that actually enjoys meeting people. Um, because people aren't going to be throwing themselves at you and asking you what you do. You really are going to have to work the room and that's a daunting task for a lot of people. So definitely have a plan behind it because getting someone's business card should not be your only objective. I've been at events and you probably have too, where there's at least one person walking around doing nothing but handing everybody a business card and then they leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you need to go back and you get points or paycheck based off of the number of business cards you bring back, um, then that's beneficial. But if you're actually really looking to finding a partner or making a match within that organization or that group, mm -hmm. um, you definitely have to learn how to, um, you know, talk and, and know an opportunity when you have it, you know, might only get one chance. And if that chance comes in front of you and you're not ready to take it and passes you by, you might not get it back again. Yeah. This will be a quick question and then we'll go into some other tactical stuff, but your advice for smalls is get a GovCon CPA on day one. I've talked to a number of people and, you know, I, I indicate, you know, these, there's these GSA audits, there's a DCA. Well, that's not how we do things. Well, mm -hmm. then get the hell out of the market. Yeah. I think even before anything like that becomes a imminent issue, because it is, it's not an audit isn't if it's when, right? If you're engaging and winning in government contracts, you're going to get audited. But the needing of it from day one is a lot because of what's required of you to produce from financial documentation perspective if you want to get any money to fund the work that you're winning. Um, I think the biggest issue isn't your ability to gain a contract award. It's your ability to fund it once you get it. And just because you win an award doesn't mean someone's going to give you a line of credit, whether it's the bank or an alternative lender. Either side of it's going to request documentation that needs to be accurate so that they can help you. And if you don't know what you're doing, you know, QuickBooks, it's available to everyone, but QuickBooks just is, you know, a data collection. It's not telling you when you've screwed it up. It's not like, ding dong, Teresa, you did this wrong. Now go back and fix it. It's just taking the garbage that you give to it and spitting it out into a report. So if you take that report then to a bank or to another alternative lender of some kind, they're going to see all those mistakes really quickly. And it's going to be hard for them to 
not see giving you money as a risk when you're not even mitigating the risk that goes into running your business properly. Therein lies the need for CPA on day one, unless you're a CPA. You know, if, if that's something that you like to do in your spare time, more power to you. But most people can't say that. Well, yeah, and it's it's got to be a GovCon CPA, not just a CPA. I've seen mm-hmm. websites where a five-person CPA firm will claim to do, you know, your personal stuff, your tax, you know, all, all and government contracting. Mm-hmm. Going, eh, wrong answer. Right. Uh, you know, it's not an add-on. It's a primary. Mm-hmm. Well, DCAA compliance is a real thing. And if your CPA doesn't know what that means and doesn't know how to apply it to the way that they're doing the work for you, when you get audited, they're not going to be able to help you. So there's, you know, it's great to have a bookkeeper. It's great. You know, small businesses, it's usually a family member, right? I got my mom doing my books for me because I can trust her. Well, that's great. What does your mom know about the auditing process through a GSA schedule or the compliance factors that run into you know, with just being a part of certain types of contracts. If the person who's running your books for you doesn't know anything about that, then you need to find someone who does because the mess they'll have to clean up through an audit is going to cost you twice as much as it would have if you would have hired someone else to begin with. Cool. We're going to take another break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. You can find Teresa on LinkedIn and you can find her at Parabolis, P-A-R-A-B-I-L-I-S.com. And she and I will return after these messages. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Teresa Moon of Parabolis. So we were wrapping up the last segment. We were talking about, uh, you know, CPAs and audits and all that stuff. But you also want to know, you want to know, if the business plan includes a plan for funding. So, you have a couple of things to say about this. Yeah. A couple of moons ago, pun intended, I started my career in government contracting as a business development representative for a contractor. And, you know, the first thing they said to me was, these are our NAICS codes. Now go out and find every single contract you can that applies to those NAICS and win them for us and bring them back. So I went and did my due diligence and with my network was able to bring back a substantial amount of those that they had asked me to target. But what I found out really quickly is that there was no plan in place on how they were going to fund the contracts now that we've just been awarded. And that not only impedes my ability to continue on my reputation with these connections that have given me the opportunity to work with them, but it also impedes the team's ability to say with confidence that they're going to be able to perform at the highest level because they know they have access to what they need in order to do so. And so I think that in a business development strategy, too often, the question of whether or not you have access to the capital you need to perform and then to win bigger contracts afterwards isn't had until too late. Pricing strategy is important, but early in the conversation, the business development people, the team, prior to it getting to the capture level, need to have a conversation with the executive saying, hey, if I go out and win you know, three of these contracts, what, what kind of access do we have to hire people to buy the equipment we need or buy the goods that we need or pay our suppliers? Those conversations aren't had and, and sometimes not at all. Sometimes the executives aren't communicating with their business development teams that this may even be an issue. And it could just be because they don't know because a lot of business owners think that if they win an award, the bank is just going to throw money at them. And that's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's never actually happened, but it definitely isn't happening today. 
Most no. banks do not understand our market. No, they sure don't. And and what they saw as a risk prior to a couple of years ago has increased when all of these banks closed out in California last year. So mm-hmm. the level of risk that the government contracting market provides to normal day-to-day banking operations in terms of access to lines of credit has exponentially risen. And so, you know, your banker is your most heavily regulated partner. They've got a, a bunch of red tape that they have to abide by when they're looking at you as a candidate for someone that they can lend money to. And now a lot of what they're looking at is what do you actually have on hand, cash on hand in comparison to what you're trying to borrow? No. Um, so, you know, when it comes to this, you got to think about it in terms of if I send this person out and they're as successful as I need them to be, am I going to be able to provide them the funds that they need so that we're performing at a high level? Past performance is key in government contracts. And a huge portion of that is having access to the funding that you need to perform at the highest level. Agreed. You used to do this yourself and you probably advised, probably, I know you advise companies on this continually. Do you understand RFIs and RFPs and where do you find them? I think that the key to this is if you don't know it, then you should have someone else do this for you. Um, or I not had come a business in. owner. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I had this business owner reach out to me last week. Very, very good at what they do commercially, which counts for past performance, right? But they don't know how to find RFP for what they do. You need to find someone to do BD for you then. Um, it's not, you know, going to sam.gov isn't as easy as, easy as it sounds. It, it's just a repository of information. It isn't going to narrow things down for you to the point of if you really don't know truly what it means that it's going to just highlight itself, right? Once again, if it doesn't suit your bag of tricks, you need to do something about that. So there's lots of things you can do, right? You and I both know people that coach business development tactics to teach people within an organization how to go out and identify opportunities in RFP. Then you you can hire someone that actually has experience doing it and can do it for you internally, or you can find someone fractionally that has a business for BD that they already have connections with several or, or agencies and they can go out and do it for you. So it's just a matter of how much money and time can you dedicate to it because the learning curve is great. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that doing business commercially and then moving into the federal marketplace, that's not apples to apples. So just because you were good in the commercial market doesn't translate into being good in the federal marketplace. So it's really, you know, really understanding who your buyers are, understanding when they are going to be putting things like this out and how to effectively communicate what you do so that you are competitive against people who've been doing it a lot longer than you. Yeah. And I want to throw out a caveat here over the last three or four months, I have been approached by no fewer than a dozen companies purporting to be able to do all of that with an AI tool overlaid on Sam or a Ouija board or whatever they're using, (laughs) you know, Uh, and I I think part of the time it is the Ouija board, but, you know, I view most of these as, as shiny rocks that you don't need to stop and pick up because several of them have been venture backed and they're backing people who may be really good at data analytics, but they've never done government contracting before. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. That could be a whole lot of money spent before you figure out that you've you've got, you know, a bunch of stuff that's not going to work for you. 
Have Have you been approached by any of these companies or can I send them all to you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it, it's one of those things that you and I have talked about, right? Marketing strategy. And so it, I, I sometimes want to say when they reach out, have you actually looked at our website to see that that's not what we do? We're not going after government contracts. So I don't really need hmm. to know or have access to uh, RFPs that are coming down the pike. I'd love to yep. be able to tell my current clients and prospective clients where they could go. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, marketing intel that isn't getting translated properly if they're coming to me and asking me if I want government contracting tools. Yeah. It, when they're coming to me, at least half of them understand that I don't do contracting and they're just looking for an endorsement of some sort. And yeah. as you know, I don't give those out lightly or often. And so, rightly so. You've got to protect your your integrity and, and protect you know what you've built. Well, that and I don't want to endorse things that I don't fully understand, period. Yeah, yeah. I'm let's, with you on that. Let's touch on pricing strategy before we break. I mean, I what I know I've learned from someone else, right? Yeah, and so sure. Me too. Thankful, yeah, and, and thankfully there's a, a lot of people who espouse to know how to do this. But I think um, the best place to start is not looking to be the cheapest. I think a lot of especially newer and growing GovCons look at it that the only way that they can be competitive is if they're the lowest price. And what they're doing is they're pigeonholing themselves to never get out of cash flow crunch. You know, their their inability to turn a profit is most likely aligned to their lack of understanding of pricing strategy. So this is an extension of your business development plan that might include hiring outside to do it because your BD person might not necessarily know how to be competitive on this. And a lot of times government agencies aren't looking for the cheapest, they're looking for the best. And in some circumstances, they'll even pay more for who they believe to have the best cost performance on something. So leading with I'm the cheapest is probably not your best bet because you get what you pay for. And the government understands that too. Well, sometimes they do. And sometimes I don't know if they do or not, because this is, you know, LPTA, whatever the latest verbiage is, Mm -hmm. keeps coming up about every eight or nine years. And I've been doing this a long time and I've seen it with different names uh, at different times. And my favorite story goes back to the early 90s with a series of desktop contracts, desktop to uh, was awarded to three companies, one of which was, get this, Sears Business Systems. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, that goes back a ways. Uh, most people remember Sears, but didn't know they had a business systems. Well, they were pricing their uh, product. on, And this is back when Intel was, was upgrading the systems about every 15 months or so, right? Mm-hmm. So the chips would get a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. Sears predicated its bid on a lower end thing and the cycle was coming to the end the next iteration was coming out so when they won was the government going to buy the stuff that was running slow or were they going to go a little higher price and a lot faster Mm -hmm. Um, so sears business systems died quickly because of entry into a market they didn't fully understand and bidding ridiculously yeah It's true. And so I think there's got to be research behind it there, too. I mean, Mm. how much people are are selling their product or services for is public knowledge. And if you know where to look for it, you can see. So you can base your your competition 
based off of that information that's there for you. But once again, you just got to know where to find it. And if you don't, you need to seek help um, because there's plenty of it. Yep. There's a lot of good help and there's a lot of very questionable help. So vet vet your sources carefully. We're mm-hmm. going to take our last break and come back and talk about marketing strategy and my favorite topic, LinkedIn. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amp Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with my friend Teresa Moon of Parabolis. You can, again, find Teresa on, on LinkedIn and just, just connect. You'll find her intriguing smart uh and and just a great connector so my favorite sandbox in our market you know is linkedin Mm -hmm. uh so an online strategy for from your perspective Mm -hmm. start off there once again if you don't know how to do this get some help and i know a guy He's, he's sitting here with me right now. <laughs> I, I started it there and I recommend that others do the same because what they think they know can be highlighted really quickly of how much they don't know with a little bit of guidance. And so online presence is super important. It's people sometimes their, their first impression of you and first impressions go a long way. And so if your LinkedIn presence isn't presenting you in a way that other people can be informed quickly and identify quickly what it is that you do and where they can find you, um, you probably wasted your time. And so I, I highly recommend programs like yours that allow people to, you know, go through a, a step-by-step process of how to set up a page that's effective and then learn how to interact with people well. You know, you would think when you're dealing with adults that you wouldn't have to tell them how not to be harassing when it comes to um, contacting people via LinkedIn or through email, but it's amazing how many people need advice on that. And so um, just because you have access to people on LinkedIn doesn't mean that um, you have to take it too far, of course. And so, you know, you can turn people off as quickly as you can turn them on. And and we all know people who know how to do that. (laughs) So the things that you do online are, are important. And having a LinkedIn page that conveys not only what you do, but gives people a glimpse into the person that you are is important because you are aligned with your business in and out, whether you represent that company or you own that company. Um, you are presenting yourself in a way that um, when people find you, you want them to know why, why they need to talk to you. And, and there's a strategy behind that. And I think nobody knows that better than you. Well, thank you. But um, again, you know, I do the census of feds on LinkedIn every year. Mm-hmm. And this year I have identified now well over 600 company pages for federal departments, agencies, operating divisions, offices, and even the federal executive boards, which are in 28 cities around the country, mm-hmm. um, which are of limited use to a lot of contractors, but of very good use to some other contractors. But mm-hmm. Govies are here. I mean, I found 2.84 million of them on LinkedIn uh, about 30 days ago I published. So uh, so they're here. From your perspective, what is the etiquette when you're reaching out to a prime or a govy? I think, you know, know your audience, right? Um, 
they these people are putting out quality information that's based off of what the mission is of wherever they are, whether it's a prime or a government agency. And so follow someone respect respectfully in a way and take the information that they're providing. It's always great to send a message to someone and say, hey, I saw you on a webinar and that was great information and how and see how they respond from that perspective. But going right in for the jugular and sending them your capability statement and trying to schedule a meeting with someone that doesn't even know who you are, it's probably not going to get very far. Um, and so I think you, you take it as you would building a normal relationship with someone. It takes time. It doesn't just come with, you know, sending a little bit of flattery or sending, you know, Hey, I really liked how you did that presentation or the information you provided. It takes time and you can't push it. You can't rush it because like with anything else, um, a little bit of patience goes a long way. Um, and so I think <clears throat> interacting in a respectful way and, and give, paying someone a compliment can go a long way, but allow them the respect of if they respond, then go ahead and try to take things to the next level. But if they don't and you browbeat them, they'll be sure to remember you when they see you the next time. And they'll probably tell other people about you too. And that's not the kind of things that you want roaming around the circles of government contracting is that you are an online or LinkedIn stalker. <laughs> yeah, the the stalker routine uh, it occurs. But, you know, mm -hmm. one of the tactics that I have my clients do is before you reach out to say, hey, that was a great presentation, I, I would say tag the event, tag the speaker, and what was important about the event, mention mm -hmm. the producer of the event. So make sure you're tagging a couple of different entities in that, but then highlight the the speaker. You know, I was at the HubZone National Conference out in wherever the hell we were in Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, great show, a lot of neat people. But this one presentation just really grabbed me uh, and highlighted. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Flattery goes it, a long way. Yeah. And, and it's a, from my perspective, any event you go to uh, while you're there, post your presence at the event using the event uh, uh, hashtag and just, you know, cause people are going to be searching on that and it'll show up in their, in, in, on their cells, you know, while they're at the event and you mm -hmm. can make meetings that way. And I've seen you do this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's super important. And another thing that I learned from you is, making reference to the conferences that you're going to be attending before you get there too. letting people know using those hashtags. Hey, I'm going to be there in two weeks. Hey, I'm going to be there in a week. Who's going to be there? Because then it allows for those extra uh, times where people will see those maybe when they get there, but you've already put that information out. So letting people know ahead of time. And then after the fact too, are super effective in building your network because if this is a, a conference that you intend to attend year after year, people will start looking for you and wonder yep. where you are. Yep. And so it's highly effective to build that expectation prior to, because then they're going to come looking for you. And if you've got an, like I said, if you've got an exhibit table, let people know before they get there so that they come and they, they find you and they reach out to you while you're there. It's, it's great to give people a heads up. Yeah. And even if you don't have an exhibit in in the event you can set up meetings with people prior to the event if they're going to be there as well and mm -hmm. you know a time meet me at this person's booth or meet me near the registration area whatever mm -hmm. uh it you know you're going to an event to meet 
a lot of new people, but also some specific people. Right. Tag I mean, them. You gotta, you gotta have a strategy behind it. And, and if you don't, then it's not going to be as effective as you hoped. True. All right. So we got a couple of minutes left and I, I just want to open it to this. Give me your, your top tips, either things we've covered or things that we haven't covered that people should consider when, uh, when they're reaching out in our market. Have a purpose behind it other than just connecting. You know, sometimes it can get creepy. Hey, I saw you at this event, just wanted to reach out. Well, that's great. I'm super busy though. And I'm going to probably decide whether or not to reach back out to you based off of how important it is for my time to be able to do so. And so, you know, being direct, um, you got people are, are very rarely rude, right? I mean, if they're intending to make a good connection, they very rarely say the wrong thing in terms of trying to, to get the best out of you. But there's got to be some purpose behind it. And especially with government agencies, right? If you don't give them a reason to want to reach out to you, they might, they probably won't. So you'll get lost in that black hole of all the other people who reached out. So finding that special something that sets you apart. Hey, I, It's happened with you and I, for instance. I I met someone that I didn't know at the Hub Zone Council last year, and they gave me their business card. And I reached back out to them to remind them of that that meeting and by referencing the fact that you had introduced us. And it was because of that 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 person reached back out because it was our connection, yours and mine, that made that third party reach back out to me. So being able to be thoughtful. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Me too. Nobody knows more people than you. So it's always nice. I, I just find you in a room and stand next to you. And then I look like the creep behind you just waving like, hello, I'm <laughs> with him. <laughs> I I sometimes feel the same way with you because your, your, your visibility is incredible. And I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me today, Teresa. Thank you so very much. This was absolute thrill for me. And I can't wait to tell everyone I know about it. Well, there you go. And don't forget to catch Teresa's podcast, Spilling the Tea on GovCon. It's informative and it's a boatload of fun. Podcasting is not my day job. I operate at the intersection of thought leadership, content, and LinkedIn, helping companies and individuals build subject matter expert positions in the federal market and help them build stronger pipelines as a result. If you'd like to discuss this, Drop me a line at MarkAmtower at Gmail or send me an in-mail through LinkedIn uh, and share this podcast with people who will benefit because Teresa's a great guest and there's a lot of information here. Like it on the podcast platform of your choice. And thanks for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.